Brie McCoy is an accidental home cook. I love that, by the way. She is the author of The Cook's Book and a lover of gathering people around her everyday table. She's a creator of the Everyday Kitchen Masterclass, a five-week online course that teaches people how to become more confident home cooks. And I'm so excited that she is a guest today on the Truth For Your 20s podcast. Welcome, Brie. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm excited that you're here to talk about cooking because I know, yeah, in your 20s is such this learning curve of following recipes versus becoming a cook, which I love that you unpack. And so first of all, I just love, yeah, introduce yourself and tell us how you got into this world. Absolutely. So I call myself an accidental home cook because I really did not want to learn how to cook. I had I had no dreams or desires or any passion to cook. I really wanted to stay out of the kitchen, and I did most of my college years. And it wasn't until I got married and we realized that eating out every night was like going to send us into debt pretty fast. And so I was like, I guess I am entering this world of adulthood where cooking is a part of livelihood. So you were like, okay, I guess I need to learn how to cook. Absolutely. I decided, you know what? I can do this. I'm going to rise to the occasion. I'm going to learn how to cook. And I was so intimidated by it. I really, I did not even know the basics of cooking. Like when I say I did not know how to cook, I did not know how to cook. And I would read a recipe. It would say like a pinch of salt. And I would be like, what? Is that a teaspoon? Is that a tablespoon? Like what is a pinch? It was, I just did not understand this concept of cooking. And so I marched myself to Barnes and Noble And I was like, I'm going to grab a cookbook. I was so intimidated because there were so many cookbooks. And I found one called Cooking Light. And I thought it meant light cooking, like less cooking. And I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to do not a lot of cooking. And I got that cookbook. I started to cook through it. Halfway through, I was like, this is healthy cooking. (laughs) Boo. (laughs) You know, I was like, wait, this is healthy cooking. But I started to cook my way through it. And I just started to fall in love with this act of bringing a meal together. And I love that you also talk about bringing people around your table. I just think that that is a spiritual, soulful, beautiful gift that we are we don't talk about enough. And I think it is such, still serving families and singles and everyone so well just to be able to invite others to your home. Um, and I want to unpack that first. I want you to tell me about this whole reading a recipe versus coming becoming, I don't even know if a chef is the right word, but becoming a cook. <laughs> yes. So as I was... Cooking my way through this cookbook, I was like, I'm a cook. I can bring a dish together. But it had occurred to me at one point that I was still burning a lot of dishes and I was still not understanding like, okay, I read this recipe exactly as it was laid out and this dish is still too salty or the chicken is undercooked. Like what is ha- where is the disconnect here where I feel like I'm truly following the recipe and I'm not getting the outcome that I feel I deserve? And it occurred to me, like, maybe I've become a really good recipe reader, but not an actual, like, good home cook. And so I decided to go on a little journey of learning just a few basic foundational skills in the kitchen that would come alongside me as I read recipes. Because I still love a recipe, but now I can bring that knowledge to the recipe reading. So something says, um, cook your chicken for seven minutes on each side. Well, I now know that my stove has some hot spots and I actually need to cook my chicken for five minutes on each side. And so there's like the little difference of being able to look at that recipe and know your own kitchen and your own tools, your own food, and be able to bring it all together in that way. 
Now that's powerful stuff. So I'm sure there was a learning curve. Like, did, was there, what do you do? You get good knives? Like, how does that even start? Oh, yes. I think the first thing that I did was I was like, let me let me learn my knives a little bit because I feel like I shouldn't be sawing away at an onion every night for like 20 minutes. I'm sure there's an easier way. And so I just started going to um, kitchen stores in our area and asking like, I'm a brand new home cook. What do you think I need to know? And I I got so much feedback. I was like, okay, yes, learn how learn knife skills. You need to learn your stove because everybody's stove is different. Uh, you need to know how to like prepare and season your meat because that's really where the flavor is coming from. And so I slowly started to accumulate all of these skills and I was documenting them as I went along, which is really what is in the cookbook are the skills that I learned that brought me from great recipe reader to confident home cook. And, uh, and now I, I rely on those skills every day when I enter the kitchen. I'm, I'm a lot of like taking notes. <laughs> no, I think this is so good. So, okay. As you're asking all of these people in your area, you go to all these stores. Did you find like reoccurring themes? And they tell you, oh, you need a good spatula, a good whatever. Like what they say? Oh, yes. Every single one of them said you need to have a high quality chef's knife. Every single one of them. They were like, your life will change in the kitchen. They also said, take a knife um, workshop. A lot of kitchen stores offer free knife skills classes because it doesn't matter if you have like the best shiniest tool. If you don't know how to use it, then it's not going to work for you. And so I did that. Another one said, decide which pan you want to be your pan and learn it inside and out. It doesn't matter. It can be nonstick. It can be stainless steel. It can be enameled cast iron. Find the pan you love and like learn it inside and out because all of those pans that I just mentioned, they work completely differently when it comes to like searing meat, making sauces. And so I decided after a lot of research that my pan was going to be an enameled cast iron brazier because it was pretty. But there was a big learning curve and I was like, oh, I have entered school for this. I was like, I am in school. Session has started. I'm going to learn everything I can about this pan. And I that was like 10 years ago. I still use it every day. And it works for me every time I put anything in it. They say cast iron is like the bee's knees. I have one, but I'm scared to use it. I'm like, I don't even. I know that's when that was one thing when I was because I was asking everybody, I was like, well, what do you think my pan should be? And everybody was like, I mean, cast iron, like you can't go wrong. And so I was like, I got to do it. I got to use it. And I it is once you learn it, because there is a learning curve. But once you learn it, it is, it's like, I'm, it sears meat so well. It like thickens sauces so well. Like everything that comes out of it just tastes like restaurant quality. Okay. You're inspiring me. I'm going to, I'm going to dust that bad boy off and we're going to, we're going to cast yeah. iron 101. I got to put it, some oil in it and bake it first or something like that. Right. Yes. Yes. I talk about that in my book. I'm like, I talk about all the different pans and because it's again, it's like a personal preference. And then I tell like, this is how you use it. This is how, how do you heat a cast iron pan versus a stainless steel pan versus nonstick? But yes, you do want to okay. put oil in it. Okay. I'm excited. You're, you're inspiring me already. <laughs> and you're right. It's so funny about the different stoves. Like that's so true. You know, even, you know, our old houses versus this house and, and we have one eye that's actually kind of a finicky one and it's the the bottom right, the one you use the most, yes. but it, it will, when it decides to be on full blast heat and like, and you can't, you turn it low and it's like, no, I want to be on full blast. So you have to turn it off, let it simmer down for a minute and then turn it back on. So yeah. Like, and so I know if 
I'm bowling something or I just need to pay attention if it decides to on a whim get its soul full blast thing going on. Oh yes. It's so true. My husband is in the military, so we move every few years. And that's really what made me realize like, because I feel like I had learned my stove and then we move and I'm like, oh no, this one, this one heats up so fast and it's real hard for it to like come down. Or this one takes, you know, an hour to boil water. And so there's like a few tests and techniques or like little tricks that I put in my book where you can test your stove, like to find out where the hot spots are, to find out like, if is it running cold or hot? And every time we go into a new kitchen, I use those little tricks to like very quickly figure out the stove. Oh, that's amazing. I'm like, oh, that's worth a book right there. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. Okay. So you are this, as you say, accidental home cook, go to all of these stores, figuring out so you, you have your good knives and your cast iron. Did you just start experimenting? Like, I, I, I'm curious, you also mentioned how the herbs and the spices and making a meal. And I think that's so important because I know when I was in my 20s, I'm like, Bleh, whatever. I don't have basil. I don't care about that. But that is what makes all of the difference. So talk yeah. to me about that. Yes, I definitely would say I went on a very experimental journey. I just kind of gave myself permission to mess up really. And I feel like for some reason, especially like when I was in my twenties, I think that cooking felt so personal or it was easy to feel shame around it or it was easy to feel like, oh, I'm a bad cook. And it's like a dirty secret or whatever, because it's like, that seems to be an essential part of adulthood is that you can bring a meal together. And I was like, you know what, for the time that I'm learning to cook, I'm just going to give myself permission to you know, try it without the basil. Okay, now I'm going to try it with the fresh basil. Oh, I can, I see now. I see what the difference is here. Or like, I'm going to figure out my salts. Like which, okay, yes, this is a much saltier salt. So I probably don't want to use as much of this salt. And it was, it was definitely um, a lot of burnt meals. But every time, and I think like failure is such a good teacher in the kitchen. Every time that I messed something up, I was like, well, I just graduated from a lesson. Like I just learned a really big lesson about oversalting my vegetables or under seasoning my chicken. And it's not my favorite that this doesn't taste great right now, but I just learned a really big lesson. I think that's so beautiful with everything in life, right? Like just pause on that for a hot second because we're all like, we have this, I don't know what it is, but oh, we had to be perfect when we first start. Who said you got to go in there and fail and mess something up and then that's where you learn. Yeah. Truly. But you've been ahead of us and wrote it all down in, in a book. So that was very nice of you. Yes. I truly, I say that this is the book I wish I had when I was in my 20s and learning to cook. I wish that – because I felt like I was like – I was going to Google. I was going to Food TV Network. I was going to the kitchen shops. Like I just was all over the place. And I was like, surely there is somewhere where all of this information along with like really delicious recipes are in one place. And I couldn't – I didn't – I couldn't find it. So I wrote it. I love that. I love – I get to interview so many cool people who say similar things. Like I just needed this resource. I looked high and low. It didn't exist. So I wrote about it. And I'm like, yes, world changer. Thank you. Yes. Yes. I love when it starts out like that of like, it's not available. It's not here. I'm going to step into it. Preach. And I'm so glad you did. Um, Okay. So you're in the kitchen, figuring out your stuff. I would love for you to maybe tell like, what are some of your early recipes? Some of the things that you love most? That's the good stuff. Yes. I think that some of my favorite early recipes, one was a homemade salsa. And I just, I really wanted to bring together dishes that would gather people. And so the salsa 
I actually call it the gathering salsa because that is literally, I just put it on the table and everyone comes and gathers around it. But I feel like my love for cooking was really amplified because to your point earlier, it was bringing people to my table. And mind you, it was bringing people to my table even when it tasted bad. So it wasn't like my food was so good that people were like flocking to my table. There is just something about laying anything out on your table and people gathering. And so I was really focused on what are some simple, easy dishes that gather people. So the salsa was one. Um, I also did a chicken piccata recipe, which was a little bit of a jump in my kitchen skills, but it taught me a lot. But it's so good. It, it like, who doesn't love chicken? There were so many elements to the dish that most people can get behind. And so I really loved that. And then another one was I really wanted to master like a weeknight spaghetti. And so I did that one. I call that my first hello pasta because that's the dish I serve every time we have new people over. Like I don't even have to think about it. I'm like, that's what we're having. New people are coming over. Take the stress out of trying to figure out what you're going to cook. And and those were like, those were ones that really got me into exploring more about cooking. So, okay. Now I'm assuming you don't just boil the noodles and throw sauce and hamburger meat. Like what's your magic sauce with this, with this magic spaghetti? That's true. I do not do that. Um, I, it's really more of like a flavor layering technique. And I feel like the recipe teaches a lot about like, how do you layer flavors? So it starts with like, yes, ground beef. And then you like saute some onions and then you get some good spices in there. And then you caramelize in some tomato paste, which adds like such a depth of flavor. And then you get in, you know, your crushed tomatoes and that's where the spices come in. Fresh or fresh basil changes everything. And then um, shredded Parmesan cheese and then like a little bit of red wine, like, and you just let it simmer for about 20 minutes and it tastes like it's been on the stove all day. My mouth is already watering. <laughs> I I don't know what it is. I love marinara sauce. And it was one of those things when I was pregnant, oh. I like lived off marinara sauce. And it's so funny because for both of our daughters, I did that. And one of them loves it. And one of them doesn't. <laughs> and I'm like, I guess our oldest just got sick of it in the womb. I don't know. <laughs> I've had enough. <laughs> yeah. And our youngest is like, bring on all the red sauce. So I don't know. <laughs> but that that is awesome. And you also talk about choosing the perfect side dish. And I think that that's something that I, I don't know that I've ever thought much about. Like what, what's your thought process on that? Oh, I feel like as I was bringing dishes together, especially when we were having people over, that was the thing that was always the biggest question mark. Like I felt like it was easy to be like, I'm making the main dish. I'm making the spaghetti. I'm making the um, enchilada casserole. I'm making the chicken piccata. And then it was always like, oh yeah, and there should probably be a side dish. And what side dish goes with this? And so I talk in the book about like, here are like at your, like in your little toolkit, here are all the side dishes that you can bring together very easily, which ones pair with which meal and which ones are like absolutely addicting. And we'll go over even as like a main dish. But I just wanted to have one place where it was like, if you are in a situation where you are have the main dish figured out, but you're like, oh, shoot. I forgot a side dish. You can just flip to that section and be like, okay, here's like this. I can make this side dish quickly with this or whatever. I also have one called a reasonable amount of mashed potatoes because I feel like sometimes when you make mashed potatoes, it's like the biggest pot. of. It's That's like true. Potatoes. I just want a reasonable amount of mashed potatoes. Yeah. 
That's true. That's so funny. I've noticed that too. I'm like, okay, well, and now I have mashed potatoes for a week. Exactly. And I'm go bad in the refrigerator. Exactly. I'm like, I just need my little bowl of mashed potatoes. I don't need to peel 80 pounds. That'll be for Thanksgiving. <laughs> I'm curious. You said one of the ones that are addicting. What's one of your favorite go-to side dishes? Oh, I make these. Um, they're like blistered green beans in a saute pan. And they get like nice and crispy and they have some shallots in them and they are, and butter, so much butter. And they are so addicting that literally I will be cooking and they'll be like, you know, sauteing and I will turn around every single time. There's someone at the pan, just eating them straight out of the pan. And I am like, you all, we have got, we need to have some green beans to make it to the table. Like what? And then they'll leave and then I'll start eating them out of the pan. (laughs) They are so, so they're unassuming because they... present pretty simply like sauteed green beans but you add a few things to them and they turn magical Mm, I am already like oh I need some green beans for dinner (laughs) the right way though in my cast iron pan exactly oh that's what you should like christen your cast iron pan with oh okay now now I'm inspired I'm gonna tag you on Instagram (laughs) yes (laughs) I love that um, okay. So as you mentioned, people are snacking around the green beans. I would love for you to encourage our 20 somethings because I think that we all kind of love the idea of hosting a get together or whatever. But I know for me, I used to think like, oh, but I have to have everything perfect and my house must be clean and I have to have a five course meal and people get intimidated by that. Like, no. <laughs> right. So encouraging people just to open their home and what that might look like. Yes. I think that was a really big learning curve for me. I did want to have the most delicious food. I wanted to have my very clean house. And it had occurred to me one day as we were having people over, it had been like a month or two since we had people over. And I could tell I was like rushing around cleaning the house, like making a dish that was like, why am I making such a fancy dish for these that I've been like at the stove all day? And it just occurred to me that I was like, okay, if I always expect this level of perfectionism from myself, I am going to have people over very rarely. And so it was just a mind, like a mind shift for me to be like, I would much rather have people over more often and invite them into like my everyday life. You know, people live in this house. like yeah. So it's going to look lived in. Um, I would rather have people over more and be in community with people more often than rely on the perfection of my food and my home. And, and then, and then I think something else that happened for me is I was thinking back to when people would have me over at their homes and I, some of my favorite memories, I cannot tell you what they served me and I cannot tell you what their house looked like. All I remember is like the conversation, how I felt, how I felt welcomed, how I felt heard, how I felt when I left. And so I was like, okay, it doesn't even, this is not what people are going to remember. I mean, in some cases maybe, but it's not the most important thing. Yeah, that's so true. I share a story one time when my husband and I were newlyweds, I invited some of my good friends from college. Like I'm the first to get married in our little friend group. Like I'm going to invite you over. And I stressed myself. I had cloth napkins. I like had the fanciest. It probably wasn't very fancy, but to me it wasn't at that time. And, you know, perfect in my mind, little get together. I'm sure it was lovely. I couldn't tell you what I made at that point, but I thought it was interesting that we're still good friends, but we didn't really reciprocate because I think that I'd put this bar so high. It was just like, what are you doing? You know? And then fast forward when we had little ones, I have another friend who had little ones and she, it was like, we're on the phone at five o'clock and she's like, Hey, do you want to come over for dinner? I'm like, this five o'clock. How, (laughs) what 
Are you like, you're just going to throw some stuff together. And she did. And her house was a mess and I had a lovely time. And we continued to do that back and forth, come over and my mess, I have some extra and she would reciprocate. And I think that that was just much more genuine. I felt more comfortable. I didn't have to have this ridiculous bar of perfection. Yes. I wanted to share that little story again to encourage people. That's so good. I feel like when you invite people over into your comfortability, it makes them more willing to invite you over into theirs. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we want. (laughs) And then this magic of the dinner table. I mean, I I truly feel like this is what Jesus did, like invited people to the table and break bread. Like there is how sad that families a lot of times don't even do this anymore. And they're just eating on the go and run to soccer practices or whatever. I, I just want to remind and encourage our listeners, like there is magic around the table, not even just with your family, but with your friends or your roommates or whatever. And it doesn't have to be perfect, but inviting people over and making it happen. Absolutely. It is. It really is like life-changing and kind of what we are made for is to be in community. And I think there's a reason that we are created to need food multiple times a day. Like, I think there's a reason why food is best enjoyed when we're with other people. Like that, that's a divine design. And so it's helpful to lean into that design. Yeah, it is. If you are not already using and loving liquid IV, let me just rock your world for a little bit. I know me personally, I would get overheated very easily and people say, well, you need to drink water or whatever. Like I get it, but I, I couldn't drink enough. I would get constantly get headaches and find myself depleted until I discovered liquid IV. I literally use it as my coffee every morning. There is a pineapple flavor that has energy with it as well. There's some that doesn't have caffeine. You can get multiple flavors, but I love the energy kind. I drink it every morning, add a little collagen powder to it. It is, it's like my life changer. I love this stuff so much and I'm so excited to share with you. They're offering my listeners a discount code of 20% off, which is so kind and so generous. I'm so excited about it. All you have to do is go to liquidiv.com and use promo code TRUTH at checkout. That is 20% off anything. So you can get the pineapple, the energy drink, the regular kind of watermelon is also a personal favorite at our house. My kids love that one. So that's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today by using promo code TRUTH at liquidiv.com. Food is not just a necessity, it's a gift and it, you know, it fuels our body and it's nutrients and when we feed it well and we give it the tools it needs to function well. I mean, it's just so crazy that we're like, oh, whatever, I'm going to get some a hamburger and some Cheetos. Like that will keep you alive, but it won't <laughs> nourish you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, not necessarily like you have to eat kale and whatever, right. but right. <laughs> if you season it right though, it's probably pretty good. It's probably pretty good. I can attest to that. (laughs) Well, maybe if you could just share with us one more, because I love the tactical advice of maybe, okay, you're listening. You're like, okay, I'm inspired, but I don't know anything about cooking. What can you, what's a maybe starter dish? Like run to the grocery store. Maybe you already have on hand some A, B, and C, and you can start making this dish and feel confident in the kitchen. Oh, I would say my enchilada casserole and guacamole. I just feel like they're very hard to mess up. They're very, very hard to mess up because listen, like cheese covers a multitude of sins. So <laughs> yes. it's like hot sauce and salsa and like, you know, just having something to uh, dip a chip into. But I, I feel like that is such a great question because I think like small wins build on each other. So yes, like start with recipes that you are, you can immediately off the bat feel confident in or feel like this was a success. And so I, I like anything that's like a little bit like casserole forward, or I have uh, 
sweet potato shepherd's pie that is so decadent and delicious, but again, like hard to screw up. It's just like you add these spices, it's ground beef and ground beef isn't, doesn't present like chicken where it's like it gets dried out. You know, you can dry it out really fast. So dishes that have meats that, um, they can take a little bit more heat. They can take a little bit more of a, you know, a beating up, I guess. So anything with ground beef in it um, or even like shredded chicken, like from just a rotisserie chicken, I feel like sometimes when I was learning to cook, I wasn't even like, I'm not even going to try to make the juiciest chicken right now. I'm just going to rely on a store-bought rotisserie chicken because right now what I'm trying to hone in is like how to season this chicken well for a dish. That's a good idea. I've seen in several recipe books a rotisserie chicken, like use the meat from that to throw in this. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's a good idea. Instead of just, you know, that takes a lot of the guesswork out of it because people say put shredded chicken in this. I'm like, okay, well, right now my chicken is frozen. Exactly. So that's going to take a minute. Exactly. Oh, I've been there. I've been there. Yeah. It's nice to just be, and, and, and you still feel like, I still feel accomplished. I'm not like, oh, I relied on a rotisserie. I'm like, nope, this is good. I shredded this. I seasoned this. Yes. Can you also maybe give tips on what can, generally speaking, be substituted? Because when you just mentioned that enchilada recipe, I'm like, ooh, I want that. However, I'm such a wuss to spicy stuff. So I I wouldn't put hot sauce on it. And I I would imagine you would agree that's something easily to take in or take out. But if you're new to cooking, you you may not know that. Yes. I always... I, I talk about that a little bit. How about how like you can like lean you like learning your taste is one of the most important things you can do to become a more confident cook because if you don't like spice and a recipe is clearly like spicy, it's like how do you adjust that? And so I used to not really like spice, so I would back way off on like if it called for red pepper flakes, I just wouldn't. I'd add even I'd add either much less or not at all, and um. Or if it called for any kind of hot sauce, I'd back way off on that. And what I had is I had like an avocado lime crema or sour cream. Like I like I'm like I want a more cooling element here. Um, if you want the spice but not the spiciness, I would do a little bit more chili powder, and um, I would do green jalapenos, but I would do the really fresh ones and de-seed them. So I still got like that kind of peppery taste without the spice of it. I did not know that that was a thing with jalapenos. So you take the seeds out, that makes them less spicy? Yes. And if you – the seeds are where the spices. So anytime you're working with a pepper, if you remove the seeds, it becomes less spicy. Also with a jalapeno, if you don't want spicy jalapenos, look for a young jalapeno. And young jalapenos are very bright green and they aren't like wrinkly looking. They're very smooth like a baby. <laughs> and if you see at the grocery store, a jalapeno that's like super dark green and it kind of has like this, it looks like stretch marks or like wrinkles. That is a very spicy jalapeno. Okay. Good to know. I did not know this information. Oh, I learned it the hard way. Oh yeah. I'm like, oh, we, um, one of my, when I first started working in advertising, our boss was from, was Spanish. And so she would bring the jalapenos and everything. And I'm like, ah, Oh, that's Jeremy loves spice. I now he's like won me over to the dark side a little bit with spice. But in the beginning, I was I would just have to put red pepper flakes on the table and be like, this is not spice, spicy. So doctor as you will. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we're all I say we're wusses to spice, but but all that can be it's just there's people listening who I'm sure are like bring on the heat. So it's just a preference. But yeah, I think that it's just empowering. I know, like I said, I did it understand or realize, you know, some people that are, you know, more type A, like I have to follow this to a T, like what is a pinch of salt? Is that a tablespoon, whatever. Um, 
and kind of given that freedom of little things like the hot sauce, that's not going to make or break your recipe. Although fun tip that I learned the hard way, you cannot, you do not substitute baking soda and or powder. Like if they, yeah, they are not interchangeable. They are not interchangeable. Uh, yeah, I was making some cookies for my boyfriend in college and that turned out terrible because I thought they were one and the same. Not at all. Lesson you learned. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I learned. <laughs> yeah, I I did the same thing, and I was like, "Oh no." Yeah. So there you go. Did that I go was... wrong? <laughs> no extra charge for that, listeners. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Free. Free knowledge. <laughs> well, thank you for writing this book, taking the time to just hear some tools, hear some practical advice. Here's a girl who didn't know what she was doing and learned along the way. And I want to help those behind me. So I'm excited for what you're offering fellow future cooks. Yes, absolutely. I'm so excited about, about the book being in the world. Cause I'm like, Oh, let, like, let me show you some of the things that I wish that I would have known. And I'm so grateful that I get to share with your audience. Thank you so much. Yes. And you can't leave without asking or answering our million dollar question. And that is if you could have coffee or perhaps dinner at your table with your 20 year old self, what would you say? Ooh, that's a good one. I think well, I would first probably be like, you have no idea what <laughs> right? your job is about to be. <laughs> but I think I would also say, um, I would just reassure her, I think. And I would say like, it, it, this is not all random. I, I think I feel like in my 20s, so many things were happening that I just felt like, what is going on? And what am I doing? And who am I? And what are these experiences that I'm having? And a lot of them felt random and I felt like very lost and confused. And so I think there would be more of a reassuring of like, what is happening is not random and just keep going one step at a time. You are going to be very shocked when you look back. That's good because I could say the same. You think that all these, the heartbreaks and the confusion and the wrong turns, it's not all it's going to be used. Yes. Yes. It all is going to come together. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being here, Brie. What a delight to meet you. What a delight that this book is in the world. And I'm so thankful for you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.